Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Get it automatically. If you like the Stitcher app, you can find it there as well. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Today is the last of the episodes highlighting performers at Sketchfest Seattle this weekend, and we turn the focus to Washington, D.C.'s Bad Medicine. Bad Medicine will perform at Sketchfest Seattle on September 14th in the 830 block, along with the responsible adults. Today's guest is Isaiah Heading, currently the producer for the troupe Bad Medicine. Isaiah's first sketch is called Backstory. Isaiah plays Joey, I play Alex, and Bad Medicine's Andy Weld calls in to play Norman. So let's go to the sketch. Three friends get out of a car and are about to enter a building. All right, this is the spot. How do I look? Good. You should have shaved. What? Come on, he looks sharp. He looks like he strangles his victims. Strangles them? I'm clearly a poisoner. Look at the size of my hands. Maybe you're a drowner. He looks like a normal person. Now can we go in? Wait. Wait. Fine, you're a strangling poisoner. No. How do we know each other? We're roommates? He means like, how do we all meet? I sold you shitty weed at the party when you almost burnt down that house. I I meant like a fake backstory. We can make that up? We can make anything up. But this can be a game changer. A way to seal the deal. I see. Everyone pauses to think. Ah, space camp. Space camp? Smart people go to space camp. Is that even a real thing? We can do better. Better than space camp. How about spring break in Miami? Then we then we would just sound like more drunken morons. Jury duty? Who makes friends on jury duty? Sex ed. Why would you even suggest that? Well, I, I didn't come here to stand outside. You need a backstory. Something cool. Something that's impressive. Something better than space camp. Really? You can't camp in outer space? You're an idiot. Do you know that? How about rehab? Rehab? Miami sounds better than rehab. We didn't go there. We volunteered there. Like a drug rehab for at-risk teens? Blind at-risk teens. With AIDS. We meet volunteering at a shelter for blind teenage druggies with the HIV. It's impressive. It's kind of cool. It's fucking weird. We would be saints. Practically angels. Demigods, maybe? Okay. All right, then let's go in. After you, father. No, after you, Mother Teresa. They walk inside, and we're inside the building now. Welcome to the Church of Scientology. So how do you guys know each other? Space camp. Space camp. 
Hey, Isaiah. Hello, Josh. All right. Tell me about this sketch. Tell me about your backstory. Well, the sketch was something that I wrote for what we call down here in D.C. and probably many other cities have, was Sketch Jam. It was put on by a group called Hands Board, which no longer exists. But a couple of their members still live in D.C. Some moved to Chicago. But they were very kind to put on this monthly every Sunday. Not every Sunday, but like it was like every fourth Sunday they would put on this sketch jam in this bar in DuPont Circle and a whole bunch of writers would show up, bring their content, and then actors would perform their sketches. It was, uh, I met a lot of people through that, and it was like a very nice introduction to the sketch comedy scene in D.C. Um, How'd you find out about it? Well, I had met um, a young lady named Kelly Harrod through working on her short film that she had, was her first short film she ever made, and I'd edited it for her and we got the chance to talk and and kept in touch after we were done and it was a comedy film and so she knew i was into that stuff so she's like hey there's this thing coming up you should check it out so anytime it was like comedy related and writing related she would invite me and this is one of the few that i went and was like oh i think i can do this and then because there's a due date because i know the next sunday is this month this day i could like work on writing material for that date. And even now I still need like due dates to do anything. Um, so I was able to crack at it and put this together. And I'd gone to film school and taken some script writing classes. So I had like, you know, I could format the script correctly, but I had an idea how many pages it needed to be and like how many characters could fit on that small stage and kind of work with that format. And so mm. just kind of ran with it. And, you know, the idea of, you know, coming up, you know, I've, I've always wanted to go to space camp and never got a chance to go. And so space <laughs> camp is like the it thing for me as a kid, you know, it would have been my Disney if I had made it. Uh, but so like the idea that these are a group of friends who, who need a backstory to explain why they're, why they belong to, why they should belong to something. And then that's something being something crazy uh, in the end. And Scientology was the best I could come up with at the moment. I probably could come up with something better now and uh, and probably would, you know, tighten tighten a lot of the dialogue and actually have it escalate more than it does, get more absurd. But for for that, I think it was like a good introduction to that sketch jam. And then all my sketches after that were just utter trash because that was like the best <laughs> idea I had. Um, and then I was just shooting blanks from that point on. So it's that idea of um, where like – a musician's first album is really good. <laughs> and then their second one, because they have to write it in much less time than it took them to write the first one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nowhere near as good as the first ever would be. It's my uh, third eye blind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that Scientology joke at the end is definitely something, you know, workshopable. We can, we can change that, you know, yeah. that kind of joke. Like, yeah, I'm definitely like not precious of my stuff. Um, which I think is, it's nice working in a large group that's very, you know, full of good, strong writers, because then it forces you to like, give up your material early. So like a sketch like this would, would 100% now get basically rewritten, and be much, much stronger for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, other than that sketch jam, was this ever put on stage? Never. Properly? Actually, never. Um, I don't know why I haven't submitted it to do other things besides that. I think when I joined Bad Medicine and we came as a group, I think in my mind, it's always was the tool 
to force me to write new material. And so mm-hmm. things that I had pre-written, I kind of like laid to bed and said, all right, that's from, you know, that was 2013. This Now it's 2014. I'm going to get on with new stuff. <laughs> uh, and so I think, you know, the sketch jam lasted, I would say maybe another, you know, five months after that, before it kind of dissolved. Um, and then bad medicine formed because there was no sketch jam. Uh, so I think that, that was kind of like a closed chapter in my mind. Okay. So it wasn't like I have this trunk of material that I can use at any point. No, that probably would have been smart to be honest with you. I think it was more like, okay, now we have a show date. Now we have a new goal. Let's write some new material. You know, we have like, you know, eight person cast. Now I can write sketches with eight people in it. You know, so it's like, there's new play, there's new playground, new sandbox to work with. And so, I think I just adjusted for that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, before we get into the beginnings of uh, Bad Medicine, tell me what you were into growing up. What like what was like your earliest memory of comedy? Nickelodeon and all their shows. I think you know I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons religiously, and would definitely be out of bed at seven a.m. every Saturday just to to get all that great content and. Anything comedy from that stuff, just even now, I still love cartoons to death. But I think my sense of humor and things that I find funny, the slapstick that I find funny, it all comes from that. And growing up, growing up and watching, you know, Bugs Bunny and these guys do their thing, um, and all the great shows that were on air as a kid that don't exist anymore, um, Dexter's Laboratory, Recess, um, all that stuff is just like it's a story. But there, there's just so much comedy in the story that it just really works and it's all and it, and it, if you really look at these things all these things are just duplicating you know the classics you know yeah. they're just they're, you know it's, it's who's on first just again but in cartoon form and so yeah, like in a weird like way characters new yeah. spins little touches yeah. here and there everything is shakespeare you know at yeah. the end of the day yeah uh one of the things i'm hoping uh for when disney plus comes <laughs> is recess oh man it's so good like, remastered in hd because i found stuff on you know i've been watching stuff on youtube yeah the last couple of months because i i was like just randomly like i loved recess let's see if that's on the internet and sure enough plenty of them were i mean a lot of stuff is is on youtube like a lot of stuff it may not be great quality but you can like catch yeah. pretty much anything uh my nephew's really into Godzilla and he like category categorizes all the Godzillas by what year the movie came out. And so I'm working on introducing him into the cartoon series, the animated series of Godzilla that came out shortly after the uh, 97 or 98 movie that came out. Okay. Uh, and that's on YouTube. And it's, it's so weird to watch. Cause like, I remember religiously getting up to, to watch these kind of shows and like, it's my childhood saved on youtube thankfully yeah i like my saturday mornings i feel uh itunes had a sale recently of the ninja turtles oh yeah cartoons and i i bought a couple seasons of them and i haven't really watched all of them yet or many of them yet like there's specific episodes i remember from that that i had like i feel like i feel like i was very much a vcr kid more than a mm. wake up saturday morning kid Although recess was definitely something I really dug. Definitely. Um, I'm one of seven kids. 
and a bunch of us are in the or like two years apart in the middle and if you didn't get up and get to the tv before everybody else like you're going to be watching something else whoever got Mm. to it first was basically going to pick uh and so if you could get up and get your shows on it was very it was very good to be on time and be prompt <laughs> and to, you know, already have your schedule set up. And luckily a lot of us like the same shows. So, mm. so that worked out. But n- none of the older siblings had aged out yet and wanted something else. Yet. <laughs> there was no save by the bell. <laughs> save by the bell for me was after schools. And at that point, uh, yeah, anyway. that's true. That's true. Like I think at, at that point, save by the bell was syndicated. So that was more my GM where the syndicated shows after school mm. okay. than Saturday morning, I feel. Yeah. Although also American Gladiators was a thing. I dug oh my god! American I dug Gladiators those too. Was legendary. Just, Which I just found on Hulu. Yeah, they it's they've re-aired some of that stuff, and like, it's amazing just how athletic some of these people are. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what drugs they were taking, but they were jacked. Oh, there were definitely some steroids in that in Gladiator Arena for sure. Definitely. Um, all right. So you mentioned uh, going to film school. Like, is there anything between childhood comedy fandom to film school for you? Like, did you like perform or write? Oh, uh, well, that? the thing I was that kid that like, you know, like, me and my best friend were making YouTube videos before there was YouTube. You okay. know, like we my dad, my best friend's father bought him a computer and a camera and showed him how to use uh adobe premiere and then like like way long time ago and iMovie like iMovie one and he came over he showed me once and then like we took the camera out and we like shot ourselves hanging out doing stupid stuff that's now like made millions of people famous um eating things and jumping off things and and then i would spend all night cutting these things together and they weren't so much like comedy related as much as it was like we like this song by this rock band and here's a music video of it but it's all our you know just raw footage of us doing weird stuff and we made like a bunch of these and put them online i don't know where we uploaded them to what site because youtube didn't exist and that was like my interest from going from i mean i've always been an artsy kid but that was like my first real drive to like creating story and having like action happen and having a, a beginning a middle and an end we have this one video called the snowball fight and this guy like goes out to get the mail and then his roommate attacks him with like a sniper snowball. It's called snowball sniper. Yeah. And his roommate comes out and he goes, get the mail and he gets attacked and they have this huge snowball fight and he like hits his, he like catches the bad guy with a snowball and then like walks up to him and like assassination style kills him with a snowball. And like, it was like the first time, I ever like told a story visually that made sense. And I was like, Oh, this is how this works. You can cut a character going from left to right and then cut them entering the screen on the right side. And like, you know, it was like the whole, you know, the, the film parts start to come together. And at that point we just kind of pushed a boundary and kept going. And we did the nerd nerf gun fights. We did the like, yeah, missing girls videos, music videos, stuff. It's just like a lot of, a lot of, teenage boy stuff but Mm. that was like my catalyst into driving toward myself toward the film side of 
the creative world. I think filmmaking is one of those art crafts that it touches everything, you know, whether it's drawing, uh, dance, music, writing, like it all incorporates a little bit of everything. And so if you're a person that's a little, you consider yourself like a jack of all trades, it's a good art form to be in because you'll get to do something of everything at some point. Um, which yeah, is for nice. sure. Uh, so do any of these things, like any of these projects as a kid exist anymore? I like, Do you have them like on a hard drive somewhere? <laughs> I want, I have like one of those, like my first YouTube account I ever made. I don't know what email address it's tied to or where it is. I'm sure if I really looked hard enough, I probably could find it. But some of the videos are up there. And then I think there's a hard drive somewhere in my closet, if it turns on anymore, that has a couple of copies of stuff on there as well. Like, it's one of those things, like, you look back at it and you're just like, man, I was so uncool. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope things have changed. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I the one like one time uh, I, I was working at a camp and I think it was like a, a winter camp weekend for like my church or something. And we uh, there's a group of people that went skiing and that was like an all day trip for them. Mm-hmm. And there's a smaller group that went tubing for only a couple hours. So then we came back to the camp and we had like five hours to ourselves. So we stole the church's video, uh, rec- like you know, uh, camera and made our short little film. Nice. But since we didn't have any like editing software or anything, we had to do it all in camera. Oh my god! That's great. So like trying to like figure out, you know, all those moving parts of like, no, we need to be here for this, like, and make up the story as we go. Like, I wish I had it because it was just silliness, and we were even wise enough to create our own blooper reel at the end as well. Oh my god, that's great! Yeah, I, I definitely am pro. Like, it's it's very interesting to watch the world like every teenager in America has a camera in their hands that was like 10 times better than any camera I could ever have had or hoped for growing up. Oh my gosh. And, you know, being able to watch these kids make some stuff. I'm just, my mind is blown. You know, kid me would have, would have, you know, would have jumped over the moon to get his hands on this stuff. So it's very exciting for the future of media and online content, even feature films, I think are going to, be changed and be shot differently and made differently because of this technology and early access they get to it. And just the concepts of how do you tell a story visually and like, what are your boundaries and what boundaries can you break? And these kids are going to know so much intuitively by the time they get there, that it's, it's, it's going to be different. Yeah. At, at the same time, I also feel super old. Like, <laughs> like I'm only 33 and like, <laughs> talking to my nephews about what they're watching on youtube and everything i'm already like oh i'm out of it like yeah i'm done put me out the pasture totally uh i uh a friend of mine's everybody's just you know i was posting first day of school pictures and stuff and uh a friend of mine's posted his son's first day at college picture oh my god i've never seen that on my facebook feed ever and I screamed. I was like, no, it's it's too early. I mean, the kid's probably like 17, so it's probably not that bad. But I was just like, what? First day of college? Uh, that, yeah. I, I never felt so old in a moment, ever. It's, like, it's been that long? Uh, <laughs> after Philly Sketch Fest, like the week after that, my nephew, my, and he's like 
I have like 10 or 11, I forget. Uh, he's number three, like in the timeline. He graduated from my high school. Ooh. So, and that was the first time I've been in my the building of my high school probably Ooh. since like, like I graduated and it, it just <laughs> felt, everything about it just felt so weird to me. That's I was not a fan of this, the whole scenario. No, no. I, I know people like nostalgia and all that stuff, but for me, I'm like, What's dead is dead. <laughs> I'll leave it in the back. I don't, I don't want to come back here. This is a graveyard, basically. <laughs> um, so you go to film school. Yes. Uh, you meet up with uh, this woman named Katie and help on her on her film. Kelly. Kelly. Kelly sorry. This is like, so I, I went to film school for undergrad and then went back for grad school. Same program at American University. Probably not the best idea. You should go somewhere else and make new friends because grad school is about networking and repeating the same courses over again is a horrible, lazy way out. <laughs> and there's no benefit to it. Uh, so don't do that, kids. But so I did do the grad school thing, worked at a company for about five years, transferred to a different company. And at that company is when I started getting involved with our local with one of the local film groups. Um, and I met Kelly through that okay. and started, started working on her projects. How'd you fun. find out about this, like this film group? Um, it's one of those things like, uh, I think every city and I receive it. Most major cities have them. Um, it's called women in film and video uh, with for short. I think most major cities have them. Uh, but the DC chapter is very active and you have, they have a listserv that's just like insane with them full of opportunities and things to sign up for, participate in events about anything and everything under the sun when it comes to video. It's not just for women. It's just for everybody. Um, but I do like the fact that it's, it pushes the run by woman, one by women, organizing women and like just been very pro women from the start, uh, which I like and appreciate. And so they get a lot done. And I was on the listserv saying, you know, just keep an eye out because people were always asking for editors and you know, I was a young editor and needed to cut my teeth on some stuff and wanted to do more scripted content and was accepting short film jobs here and there. And a lot of them was drama based stuff, which was okay, you know, which was fine. Like I cut of like a very um, indie film that was, a, you know, it was about marriage and stuff, which was fun. Uh, but this comedy short was Kelly had come in like second or third place at a short film festival for screenwriting. And so she wanted to make her short into a real thing. And so she went out and shot it. And just needed an editor to work on it. And I had the experience. And so I said, oh, yeah, sure. And we just really jive well um, um, creatively. And she's a great writer. She's probably one of the best writers I know. Um, and I hope she comes back. She moved on from bad medicine into grad school and is doing adult things mm. with her life. But I really hope she comes back because I miss her I miss her content and her shows. Uh, she's very strong, very funny. And it was a, it was a fun project to work on. Uh, so how does Bad Medicine come together? So Bad Medicine uh, is basically, so hand, so the Sketch Jam goes away. And then Elizabeth Kemp, who was also part of the Sketch Jam, is like, you know what? I want to keep doing this. And I bet you I could start a team. So she starts just reaching out to people and saying, hey, you were part of Sketch Jam or you were part of this sketch class. Would you be interested in starting a real sketch team? And I was one of the people that she reached out to through a mutual friend. And four of us sat down at a bar on U Street 
and talked about the possibilities of starting a sketch team and continuing and doing live shows and all that wonderful stuff. And three of those members, including myself, are still there and part of the group interactive, um, which is great. And after that meeting, we went out and everyone kind of went out and recruited people they thought would be interested. I recruited Kelly and another coworker of mine named Justin to join the group. And everyone kind of brought handpicked people to bring into the group. And we went from being like just the four of us to being like 10 to 12 really quickly. And like all sketch teams, people, especially in a transient city like DC, people come and go and move on and try different things. So like we've had a, a large up and down, but that first year was definitely a learning experience. And I was very grateful that we had people who joined us who were also a part of other groups who had done things like this before. And so they kind of were able to guide us and like sign up for shows the correct way. You know, they were able to find us a space with um, uh, Dojo Comedy. Before it was Dojo Comedy, um, it was over at the fridge with Murph. Um, so our first show was through him. And then we did uh, a show in Baltimore, Charm City, uh, which was great and brought add more people then. And it was just a learning process that, you know, looking back at it, basically what happened is I turned 30 and then this opportunity presented itself. And I was like, you know what? This, I haven't done any of this. Let's go ahead and give it a shot. And I just stuck with it and it worked and it was funny and I liked the people and every meeting we just spent laughing, you know, it's like when you sit in a room full of the funniest people, you know, like it doesn't feel like work anymore. You know, it's, it's purely just people goofing off and then something gets done eventually. Cause whenever I consider bad medicine from what I know of you all, like I consider, I consider you guys to be a, like a collective almost because like, cause it does feel like people ebb and flow come in and out, like show availability changes, like, like show to show. Like, yeah. Like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen, you know, a photo of, of y'all like performing and basically having the same like five people, like show to show to show, like, like it always feels like, Oh, we got to rotate out so-and-so for this show or like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's only going to get worse since more people are married now, (laughs) Um, which is understandable, which is totally right and fair. And I think that's why we're the size that we are. I mean, we could probably be, at best, you know, probably six people strong. But I, I like us at 12 and 14, kind of fluctuating between that because people sometimes have to take a break and, you know, get pregnant and have kids and, or buy a house or get married or exchange jobs or potentially move and having, p- giving people the space to kind of check out for three months, six months and come back. It's helpful. So like I would say, uh, there are a number of us that are around most of the time that are kind of like, if there's a show, at least one of us is involved in that show. And I think mm-hmm. having a, a core team that's kind of moving the ball forward and then everybody else is kind of on the outside coming in when they want to, going out. I mean, we have people who do musical theater who like will sign up and do a musical theater show and they're in that show for, you know, uh, two months or more. And so they, they're out. They can't do anything. Yeah, but completely... the group still can meet and write and perform and act and rehearse and go do shows, you know. And so, like, as long as there is an active calendar and active schedule and people are aware of it and want to participate and join up and sign up and do all that fun stuff, 
that's great. I mean, I would love to have every show have everyone involved, but that's very hard. That's, that's very, that's not a lot of stage time for people who are involved. So yeah. the fact that, you know, I could say, Hey guys, we have a show on November 16th and less than half the group is available because of scheduling and, you know, long-term planning that helps. That works for, for us. Now I know these five or six people are available. We can craft the show around their skills and assets and present the best form of bad medicine. So yeah, I, I guess in a way we are very much a collective, but you know, at the end of the day, we still form Voltron and, <laughs> and do our best to put on a funny show. Absolutely. Uh, how many people would you say are currently within the bad medicine umbrella? Right now, I would say there are 14 people within the group itself. Um, not everyone acts, not everyone writes. So there, there is a large number that does both, but there's a, but there's a good number. I would almost say if you cut us in the middle, half the group acts, half the group doesn't act. Okay. And then, you know, there are people who do crossovers. So it kind of fluctuates with depending on the show. Okay. Um, so in a perfect, in a perfect, like an hour long sketch show, we would have eight to 10 writers. And then we would have like eight to six performers. And I really do try to push it so that, we have a, an equal balance of male to female performers and writers. You know, we have, we've had shows where it swung too hard one way or the other. And I don't think it helps when a show is all, you know, the writers are all male. Like it, it doesn't, it, it just sounds weird. It doesn't feel right. But when we get that diversity and we get that like many voices, then it like the show has ups and downs and peaks and valleys and it flows better. Uh, and the same thing for the cast. Like you want to, you want to see a show where, you know, there, if you can, it's three guys, three girls and they go out there and kill it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I think, um, like second city's model for the last couple of years have been three and three. Like it, that's, that feels like a good number to me. Yeah. Like of performers for sure. I, I, I honestly, to be honest, our best shows that I've ever seen are probably four person shows, but I think that is just sketch itself. I think when it's the same people coming on and off the stage with just four, I think you kind of build a trust level with the audience. They don't have to re see a new face, memorize a new face, memorize a new name or learn a new acting style or whatever. Mm. Like they don't have to absorb new information. They've gotten the information from the core four and they can kind of just ride the show with you. But I think when you, sometimes have a too large of a cast. Like it's like seeing, uh, you know, it's, it's the new face kind of pulls people out of the show. You know, they're like, Oh, well, this is now a new character. I need to learn or a new person. And they, for a moment are no longer in the story or in the sketch. They're getting pulled out of it. And that's yeah. why I also think like duo acts work very, very, very well. It's because boom, boom, one, yeah. one, one, two, you know them, they do their thing. They're always on stage. There's not really a, a transitional, they don't go away. And so like you build this trust with the audience and they kind of just, they kind of believe everything that's being said and you kind of lose that every time you swipe in a new person. Yeah. I have to imagine that like having that smaller, that small of a cast helps keep the energy up of constantly moving, you know, like from sketch to sketch to sketch, like quick changes. If there's any costume changes, anything like that, like, high energy keep moving because I, I definitely remember being parts of shows where like i because i don't like being on stage as much as i do writing 
I will only volunteer. I, I would volunteer for like one or two pieces. And I was probably a bit too low energy, like <laughs> in that single piece that I was in that night, you know, like I didn't have that energy of, of constantly moving and being a part of like that. So I, I totally see what you're saying of having a four or five number of people on stage also, for any given it, show. Yeah. I think it forces you as an actor to be more on top of your lines. Cause if you're like, I'm in seven sketches, like you've got to learn those lines. But if you're like, I'm in only three sketches, I think there's less of an urge to, to be as mastered with your, with the content. Yeah. Also, yeah. it's like you get into a rhythm when you're in that many sketches. You're like, all right, we're flowing, we're going, I'm into it. Next sketch, next sketch, next sketch. Okay, that's great. And I think when it's short, it's kind of like you, 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 it's harder to feel it, feel the vibe of the sketch. Uh, another thing that I'm curious about is that uh, you're listed as a producer yeah. of Bad Medicine. And yes. I think you're the f- first person I've ever really noticed like labeled as a producer for a sketch team. So what does that entail for you? Every sketch team has this person because of the 80, 20 rule. My job as producer is to plan our shows, schedule our shows and assign directors. Um, and then I'm also trying to look of, look for new opportunities for us, whether that is teaching classes or workshops or, or going to festivals, but I'm basically building the calendar and keeping track of the calendar and then letting people know when things are coming up. And that also includes like, Hey, we want to make a short film. This is what we're doing. All right. Let's see where this could happen. This could happen around here around this time. Let's start working on that. And then I can put it on my to-do list. So I have like bad medicine as a calendar. I send out a weekly update every weekend that kind of breaks down what's coming up for the next three months so like the New York sketch fest is already on our calendar as I like, Hey, this may happen this weekend. Mm. If you're interested in doing this, you should block off this weekend. Like, so we don't have to wait until it's officially announced. Like we can start planning ahead just in case that way people who are poor at planning or don't like doing things to the last minute can at least be know that they were aware that this was happening uh, so that we can keep the machine rolling. Because as people are coming in and out, you kind of still need someone to be that through line of like, hey, you've been gone for six months, but because of these emails, because of the calendar is up to date and full of information you need, you at least know that when you're like, hey, I wonder what's going on this week, you can find that information without having to like attend a meeting. So as producer, I would say I am producing, I'm a showrunner, I'm putting our shows together and scheduling them and then director creates the show and the writers write it and the actors perform it and then we just do it again and i joked that uh in all the times that i've seen you guys perform i've never seen you specifically perform how much instead of your role as a producer are you still writing and creating material for the group i'm in the group to write that's why i'm doing the sketch comedy I, you know i want to learn to write i want to learn how to be a better writer and how to take an idea and make it an outline and turn it into a script that makes sense. And then to suffer through rewrites <laughs> and to see something get on stage and be funny and people, other people to find it funny. That's the whole process I'm in it for. And so like having 
set shows and set events that we're submitting content to forces me to write. Cause without it, I'm never going to sit down and do it. You know, I'll may do it once in a blue moon, but with, with these due dates, it really helps a lot. So every show, most every show, every contest we're involved with, I've written something for it. Has it gotten in always? No, but I've def I've definitely have written something for it. And so I appreciate it from that point. Now the acting, I have no interest in acting. I don't right. want to learn lines. There are other people that are better than me that really get a kick out of it. Like when I'm on stage and I'm saying lines, I can't tell if I'm being loud, if I'm being quiet, if the audience <laughs> finds it funny, if I'm funny, if I'm stepping on line. Like I can't tell anything. And it's like I get nothing from it. And so for me to take up space, it just didn't seem right. So I'd rather give it to somebody else you know, who wants to do it. And like, probably, I probably have seen more bad medicine shows than anyone because I've been in the audience for most of our shows. Yeah. Yeah, and so I feel like I'm watching the audience watch our stuff, you know, and I can kind of be a good gauge, you know, for how things are going or how things went. And I can take pictures and shoot video of our shows. And so like, I've kind of like carved that hole out for myself and I sit there and I do that so that we have content from when we perform that we can share and promote future shows with. Um, but when I do act, it it's usually because like we've, we, we don't have the numbers and we really need people. And so then I'll take the time to learn lines, rehearse and <laughs> cast myself and stuff. But it's really like the last thing I want to do. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because last year when we were hanging out in New York at, at, at the Pitts Sketch Fest, you you use a certain phrase about not wanting to act. And I can't remember what it is. And I really wish I could. Like, uh, Cause I, I think Emilito was, you know, asking why you don't act. And, and you said something that was like, Oh, I wish that was me. Like you used the, and it's killing me that I can't remember how you said it because uh, it, it was so like, yeah, I wish that I could do that. Like, I think it, it might've been something like last resort or something like, Oh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm definitely like someone got sick. They can't do this. Yeah, someone step in. It's like, all right, I'll do it. Because I've been at most of the rehearsals too, kind of because like you know, planning with the team, planning with the director, talking to people. So like, I know most of the sketches and the roles. Like I've seen them performed. So even if I don't know the lines, I know that person needs to be over here on this side of the stage, and then sits down, and then gets up and says this. And so like, I can mimic what other people <laughs> do, but I'm not going to be like my character. He's, you know, depressed, but he's willing to hide it under his love for cats. You know, like, I'm not going to pick up on that. Like, I'm not going to be able to go that deep. I'm just going to be able to mimic what I've seen. Do people in bad medicine go that deep? Yeah, we we have. To be honest, I think we in bad medicine cheat a little. I think we have some very, we have a very strong cast. And we got very lucky picking these people up. And some of these guys are, are amazing. And I love watching them perform because they have these little tricks they do or little things they, they think about um, to help get them to characters and to change and to act and to take on different physical features when they perform. Um, Layla, for example, who's been to Philly, she changes her hair in between sketches. Mm. And, it's, and I've never noticed until she pointed it out to me, but she says just the act of changing her hairstyle as she switches between characters will help her fall into a role very quickly. Uh, and that's not something I would ever think of <laughs> or ever cross my mind to do that, you know? Yeah. I don't think I've ever like, well, 
you know, shaving my head, the hair thing's not going to help. Like, I, but I do try to think of like, you know, at least some kind of costume change. Mm, yeah. Like to make sure that there's a little like differentiation, but like, I don't know. I don't like acting either. So I'd rather someone else do it too. Now, do you not like acting because you'd rather write or you not, you not, do not like acting because you don't get anything from it? I, uh, I, I always feel like there's other there's there has to be better options than me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm <laughs> if I'm on stage, something's wrong. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, throughout my sketch comedy history, uh, the chances are if I wrote it, I'm in it. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Because at the same time, like I, I mean, first off, I've I've written and rewritten it, so like I know the material already. Mm-hmm. And for certain things, I don't trust how you're going to perform it. So I'm going to do it myself. That's fair. Which is I, probably unhealthy. No, no. I think that's that's good. I have found that when I've had the chance to perform sketches that I've written and I get to see the audience react live while I'm on stage, you know, I can, I go, oh, this is too slow. Oh, this could be bigger. Oh, we could have gone a different mm-hmm. route in the story. Yeah in this this route this is this is this is low-hanging fruit now i get it why they were saying we shouldn't cut we should cut this out it's like so i can def so i would say performing your own sketches is a part of the writing process and by never having to do that <laughs> i get mm-hmm. to skip that step and <laughs> and keep writing <laughs> keep making the same mistakes mistakes in my writing but at the same time just because you're not like experiencing those mistakes like firsthand on stage as you go it where you might be in your head as a performer seeing it from the crowd has to be at least somewhat helpful uh it is it definitely is uh i think i know i've learned like what works what doesn't work i wrote a sketch about uh, a couple playing charades and it in my head it was very funny (laughs) and like the physical watching someone do the physical charade parts, mm-hmm. it doesn't translate as well as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if it's like, if basically it's the information gap, it's like, this is happening because of X. And I find it funny because I know what X is. Right. But exactly. when, you, when it's on stage, the audience can't figure out what X is. And so they're not laughing because they're trying to solve for X. And even though you're like, this is so, so simple. How can you not get it? It's like, you have to really break it down and simplify it to its purest form so they can pick up on it and keep going. Otherwise you lose them. And I think when you get to watch stuff on live from the audience perspective, you kind of pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, so bad medicine produces an, a, a podcast yeah. I I kind of consider it like a sibling podcast, like to each other, like like you know totally we're in the same boat together. Yeah. Uh, so tell me how Sketch Nerds came to be. We've always wanted to do a podcast, and there was many talks about doing different things. But basically, our podcast is based off our writers' room. It's the conversations we have in our writers' room, where people would bring up old sketches they've seen, and we would break them down, talk about them, say why we'd love them. And then we were like, you know what? This is this is what, is what the podcast should be. And so Andy and Julian kind of took the idea and broke it down and came up with a structure for it. And Seth volunteered to help 
put it together and be on mic and I know the equipment and how to work it. And so I set it up and we just started going and the way podcasting really works is like, you got to bring guests on and guests is what really make it different. When you kind of add that, that surprise flavor, it really kind of gives you something to, it kind of mixes things up nicely. And so we thought of doing the podcast just as a way to meet other people in the sketch comedy community. And it's worked really well. I feel like we've met a lot of people in DC through it. And now that we're trying to branch it out and record at festivals, it's helping us meet that community as well. And once I figure out how to do these call-ins correctly, um, we'll get to do more out-of-town acts um, and other people who are on the side of the the world or the country and have them on the show as well. Um, But it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot about comedy and the history of comedy and a lot about sketch comedy in particular, the games, the writing concepts, you know, oh, this actor used to be on this show. And then he went over here. He did that. And like, you know, it's one of those things you're like, I think I know a lot about this. I know a lot about Saturday Live. And then you, and you dive into it and you're just like, whoa, this is way deeper than I, than I ever thought. And sketch comedy is one of those things where it, there's a science to it. There's a kind of math and music to it. And the people who are really, really good, you know, are like Harvard level. Like they're, they're, they're so smart because that's what it takes to write, you know, to, to fit funny into these formulas and do it in a way where it feels like there is no formula. It takes that level and taking that deep dive into this comedy stuff is, is very, very, very helpful. And I, and I kind of hope that as we do more shows that we're going to be able to get the people who wrote these sketches, get celebrities on, get these comedy writers on, and kind of go bigger. I mean, we haven't really reached out and we're probably not pushing the podcast as hard as we probably should be, to be honest. But I do think that at one point, if we keep it up, we're going to get X SNL members and people who write comedies, feature films and stuff that you see on TV on the show to talk about their favorite, their favorite sketches and just kind of like get a taste of what it really takes. Um, and talk, you know, and just nerd out and fan out, fanboy out on this stuff. And it's been really, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, nerding out is definitely the <laughs> key word to it. Because I, I felt like when I did it two years ago or a year and a half ago at, at uh, Sketchfest 2018, like, I don't think I've ever felt like such a, a nerd, like, in the best possible way, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we're all sharing something that we love and are talking, you know, like, it's, it's you know, it's optimal, like people can have their fantasy football drafts and whatnot. Like I'll talk sketch comedy until I'm blue in the face as well. And it's, it's great. Cause like so many people have brought sketches that I'd never heard of or have never seen, or this sketch was a part of an episode on a show. And so like, unless you saw that show when it was on air, chances of you coming across it again is very rare. Yeah. Uh, and so like stuff like that is just great. Cause then I get to like watch that and then keep watching the, youtube hole and just <laughs> dig 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 and like you know four hours go by and i've seen so much and it's just like i'm gaining instinct and insight from studying comedy at this level yeah whenever you guys are talking about a, a sketch from adult Swim or something i'm immediately like what is this i don't know what any of this is because like, <laughs> i'm such I'm, I'm so out of the adult swim yeah like pool i suppose um on the, on the podcast, you give yourselves the tagline, the the team, the tagline, 
was it the best sketch comedy about the worst humanity or something like that? <laughs> yeah. DC's best sketch comedy. DC's about the worst. best sketch comedy about so, the worst humanity. <laughs> so what can people expect from a typical bad medicine show? A typical bad medicine show, for one, it's going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically, it's absurdity, you know? It's not political, so we're not going to do po- politics. Um, we're not going to make Donald Trump jokes or anything like that, but we're going to talk about scenarios in life, scenarios that you may have found yourself in. We're going to take weird, wacky characters and put them in places they shouldn't be. Um, we're going to you know, play teenagers to old people, to um, same-sex couples, to people stranded on a desert island. You know, it's just, it's just a slice of life. And so I think like, you know, the worst part of humanity is like a, a, a thing that we, we strive for. Um, I think as we've, you know, we're coming up on, what is it? Six years coming up on six years, six or seven, um, years of doing this. And I think the writing style is starting to develop more and by participating in festivals like Phillies, um, we're seeing what other people are doing and we're liking it. And we're like, you know what? We don't have to just write game sketches and list sketches, you know, we can do other things. And so I think there is a push to do more character work in our future of our content as well. And so I think as people lean that direction, there'll be more, you know, it won't just be, this is a weird person in a weird place. It will be, this is our Johnson character, Mr. Johnson character. Mm. And Mr. Johnson character is trying to get ketchup out of a bottle while swimming in a pool. You know, it's like, we're going to, we're going to give it, we're going to raise the absurdity bar through characters and not just through um, weird scenarios. It's funny you say about raising an absurdity bar when there's a certain sketch that I hear that you guys don't like that EK <laughs> keeps getting in the shows <laughs> <laughs> that I love. And I could watch that sketch every week for the rest of my life and it will still make me giggle. So, Like you could legitimately bring that sketch every, every festival. Every, like i'll go down no they probably will be totally fine doing i that. i think ek knows how much i love that sketch so <laughs> uh, yeah it's only only ek could come up with something like that for sure <laughs> for sure uh she is definitely besides also being a, a love of nature and all things wildlife i think when she finds a nugget of absurdity she really does a great job of of pulling it until it's it's at a point where you're just like, what is going on in a very fun way? And that sketch for sure is there. Uh, I like it. But, you know, for me, you know, I, I like writing new stuff. I like doing new stuff. And, yeah. you know, when, you, when we've done a sketch 10 plus times as we're going through the festival circuit and shows and stuff, after a while, you're like, I'm ready to put that to bed. Like, I know it works. I, I totally but I'm so that. ready to put that to bed. <laughs> That's why that one needs to go on the list of things to shoot. Like, for ah, me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just for me. That's fine. Just, <laughs> just, just do a short film just for me. <laughs> It'll still get a thousand views, but it'd just be you. <laughs> yeah, it will. Uh we skipped over earlier. I usually ask it earlier in the show when we talk about sketch comedy. Um, favorite Saturday Night Live cast member? Ah, uh, so I'm going to give you uh, two. Okay. Uh, Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say uh, Rachel Drotch. But Leslie Jones is leaving. 
Yeah. So I'm going to give that to Leslie Jones because I actually love her and I love what she does. And I do think they were pigeonholing her and typecasting her in a lot of the sketches. But when she does her thing, it is so, so funny. Uh, One of my favorite sketches she does is when she dresses up like Donald Trump. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And she attacks Lauren Michaels in his room when he tells her that she can't go go on stage dressed as Donald Trump. It is, I mean, clearly it's not Lauren Michaels in the video, but just that outburst, like there's no one else on the show that could do that at that level and it be that funny. Um, like I could, in my mind, I'm like, I could watch, you know, I could watch Phil Hartman for, you know, here's 12 hours of Phil Hartman. I would yeah. watch it and have no problem. Here's 12 hours of Leslie Jones. I also would not have a problem with that. And I really hope that she finds a network or a show or something to host, you know, Did like you, uh, please hire for the Olympics and just let her go. Oh, man. She's doing um, the reviving a game show. They're reviving they, a game show. They just announced that she's taking uh, what is it? Supermarket sweep. Oh, okay. Okay. She, that's like her first project. Okay. Yeah, I, I think she's going to skyrocket. You know? Yeah, I, I don't think when she was hired and she was playing the show, like I had like I had known the name. I had seen her, you know, on some, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stand up like mix show, you know, like, oh, what was it called on Comedy Central? Like uh, Blend or something or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, like I don't totally feel her in sketches, but her as like that talking head on update, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is always so strong. Like, it doesn't matter what the topic is. No, like they they, they should just put in the, you know, like in the the runs down every week. Like Leslie Jones, four minutes on update, go, whatever yeah. you come up with, we're good with. Like it's, like yeah, she she's awesome. And I'm really surprised that she's the only one that's been announced to leave this year. I actually thought there was going to be more. Oh, I totally thought there were going to be more. Uh, 100%. In, in my mind, she's kind of got like the, the Lewis Black thing going. Yeah. Whereas it's like, I'm going to do angry and loud and it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. And you're going to love everything that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> and I'm going to have a point and it's going to be great. And it's like, uh, she's going to have a great career. But yeah, I was expecting more people to, to kind of bail. Um there's a lot of long tenured people on that show right now that probably could make the moves. Uh, and people doing multiple projects, like um, tons of multiple projects. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know how you squeeze it in with that, with that schedule though. I've, I don't either at all. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's funny that you mentioned Rachel Dredge. I don't think she gets enough love. No, I love her. In that time period. Oh my God. I, I love her now and the stuff that she's in now. Oh God. Yeah. She's great. It's one, again, it's one of those characters that I think they threw anything and everything at her. And every time it was funny, you know, it's weird. Like she bridges the gap. Um, Like I think time, time wise, like it was, you know, that, that late nineties Renaissance of Sherry O'Terry, Molly Shannon, and I guess higher. And then that early two thousands of Maya Rudolph, Amy Poehler yeah. and Tina mm-hmm. and trash gets lost in the middle of it. Like exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Um, I don't understand it. I mean, I sat, if you look at the Saturday Night live roster, 
uh, people who have ever been on the show, even if it was for like a day or two as a cast member, like that's a crazy strong list. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a lot of really amazing people. Like you're like, Whoa, you're on this list. Oh, you're on this list. Like there's a lot of people on there, but I will say the women that have been on this show, there are, there are more stronger women on the show than there are men. And for some reason, not all of them have had the same level of careers. And yeah, I mean, I know why, but yeah, it's a, it's crazy. And she's one of them that I was like, she is amazing. If she didn't have her own, t- she should have her own talk show or regular running sitcom somewhere. Cause she's fucking hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I mean, different person but like i never understood how sherry o'terry did not get like a major sitcom in the five years after she left snl like i don't get why she wasn't a major tv star Mm -hmm. at all like you know and everyone else is like doing tons of work and stuff for the most part like yeah like i don't know i don't think any shit like and again snl nerd here but like no show has created more talent or yeah. elevated more talent like yeah. in the history of ever i mean it's SNL. it's a system and they have a, it's an amazing system and it's definitely you know i don't know if they're going to be able to keep going once once you know <laughs> once their head in chief goes passes along to the great beyond i don't know if the show is going to be able to keep its legs and they probably will try and run for another five four or five years but i wouldn't be surprised if it gets shut down, I, I, I have a theory. Whoa. Uh, oh, is this the, um, what's his name? Late night. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. That's my theory is that, uh, Seth Myers is Whoa. only on late night to keep an office in that building. Wow. For, you know, the future. Like I, I fully believe he's the heir apparent. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great, that's a strong, good guess. 100% sure. But and you move Lily Singh into that 1230 spot. Yeah, huh? that's true. And, you know, the train keeps rolling. But I, I will say that the role that Lauren plays now is a bad guy role. Yeah. And I think to do what he does and have that show do what it does, you have to play the bad guy. You know, like you just you can't be liked. Like you just you just can't be liked. Like you're gonna you're gonna have to say a lot of hard no's when everyone else wants to say yes, you know. But at the same time, he does seem like some kind of like avuncular figure. Like I don't think there are too many people that left SNL that absolutely have hated Lauren. Oh uh, no, no. Like at the same time, so I mean, again, it's the comedy world and it is a small world. So you can't burning SNL bridges. You know, congrats to Eddie Murphy for potentially coming back. But, you know, <laughs> clearly there are grudges held. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if sure, you burn sure. the bridge. But at the same time, Eddie Murphy wasn't there with Lauren. So. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. So I don't like whatever. Oh, well, although Eddie Murphy, most of that stuff was from David Spade. Oh. Because David Spade would make fun of him like every week. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Uh, okay. So as we're winding down, normal questions. A uh, little deep at the end. Uh, what's something that you've learned from doing comedy, or that the comedy has taught you that you'd pass on to a new writer? Comedy is about community. At the end of the day, it's about finding people 
that find the same things that you do funny or will introduce you to new things that you find funny. And I think if you are willing to invest in comedy, you should be willing to invest in community. And that does mean making friends in the comedy world. That means attending other people's shows. That means supporting people when they need supported, even if it's not comedy related. Um, it's it's about getting to know people beyond just their first name, but you know, meet meet their parents or their parents come to the show. You know, <laughs> remember things, remember birthdays. Because I think, you know, my big goal for the for DC is for it to become a sketch comedy town. You know, we're known for our improv scene. We're known for our stand-up scene. And those guys are launching out of DC. Stand-up guys are doing great in DC. And the improv scene is very strong. And I'm, I'm very proud of what we do here. And I think there's an opportunity as the city grows to turn a leaf on the sketch comedy community and to to start that as its own unique tree of influencers, of content creators, of shows that doesn't have to carry any of the baggage that the improv scene has or the stand-up scene. And we can start afresh and we can really be a strong community where we support each other and that we're, we're at each other's events, we're at each other's shows, that we are talking and sharing information, that if you, know, if you find a new software to write scripts on that's really great, that you're gonna share it with other people. And, you know, I manage our DC Sketch Comedy Facebook page with a couple other really funny people as well. And, you know, I'm really pushing this Facebook group because I really want it to grow and to kind of be a catalyst for a lot of new things. And my favorite time during my week is being able to get to hang out with my sketch team and to work on creative stuff. And I've had, I've gone to places I've never been. I've met people that I never thought I would meet and it's, it's only going to get better. But at the end of the day, you know, even though I'm here for comedy, even though I'm here for writing, it's the community building. That's really, you know, the legs that all this is standing on. And without that, you know, this would, you know, I might as well just, you know, make, become a YouTuber and <laughs> just tell people to, to click subscribe <laughs> and talk into a camera. Yeah, just sit on your bed with a, a sheet behind you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I am right now. <laughs> uh, and then finally, like I mean, you mentioned about community and all that's good, all that amazing stuff. Why comedy? Why is comedy how you spend your free time? Comedy is how I spend my free time because it makes me laugh. It's it, it sets the mood light. And I come from a, a very large family. And if, you were, if you're at the dinner table with us and, and you're hanging out with us and, pe and people feel like <laughs> you know, that we won't offend you, you will, get, you will get made fun of relentlessly. We will, we, will, we will talk about the way you look. We'll talk about the way you eat. We'll talk about the way you laugh. And it's all out of love. You know, it's like if people are not making fun of you, they don't like you. If people are making yeah. a lot of fun of you, they love you. And that's the kind of family I come from. And you will get sniped at our house, you know, like it is, it is a loud dinner table. And so coming from that and then being able to be around people that are joshing and making jokes and, and I can't tell if they're serious or not, you know, like they'll say something and I, and for a split second, I believe them. And I'm like, what? Oh, I'm, Oh wait, this is a joke. Like just always being on your feet and having that energy. It's just really great. 
And it's just a great creative community. And like I've done other stuff. I've been a part of other creative groups and have made things in the past. And sometimes you forget how good it is when you're in it and you just think of all the things you're not doing. And then that community goes away or you age out or um, people move and you're like, oh man, we, we really had something here. And so by recognizing that and having missed that opportunity before, I'm trying to bask in it now as best as I can. Cause you know, I'm, I don't know how long I'll be in DC. I don't know how long bad medicine will be together. You know I mean? Who knew we would make it this far? Yeah. So like, I, I just want to enjoy it while we're in it. And so since I've got a foot in, why not make it two feet, you know? Nice. All right. Thanks Isaiah. Thank you so much, Josh. Isaiah and the members of Bad Medicine are performing at Sketchfest Seattle on Saturday, September 14th in the 830 block, along with the responsible adults. Bad Medicine also produces the podcast Sketch Nerds, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Bad Medicine all over social media at Bad Medicine DC, and visit their website at badmedicinecomedy.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at Philly Sketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.